0: Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Ooh, that was sleepy. Wow. Good afternoon, everyone. All right. There's coffee in the back. So I'm Robert Kelly, one of the pastors at uh, the church, so glad that you are here. Before we jump into the message here, I just want to open us up in a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we are so thankful that you have called us out here for this very moment. We know uh, that uh, there aren't any uh, coincidences, Lord, we aren't, we don't just happen to be here today, but in fact, uh, we're here today and you want to do something in our hearts, We know that's the case. We know that you want to cause our hearts to be softened. We want to open up our minds to you. Lord, you want us to, to draw close to you so that we might know who you are and we might experience your love and your forgiveness. Father, that's a great gift. And I pray that each person here would seize this opportunity, these moments to hear from you, these moments to worship you, to celebrate your, the sacrifice of Jesus as we later go to the Lord's table. We're just praying, Father, that you would meet us in a special way here. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this series that we're in is called Be Rich, and uh, it is a, it is a series about learning to be rich, but not like investment strategies for getting more stuff or anything like that. It's about learning how to actually be rich, how to be a good rich person. And so we're talking about ideas and outlines from a pastor down south, Andy Stanley, and uh, he is. Uh, we're participating with his church and dozens of other churches who are doing the same series during the month of November. It's also more than just a series of messages, we're having uh, some church-wide challenges that are a part of the Be Rich campaign. And so uh, we'll be telling you more about that at the end of the service. By way of review, for those of you who might not have caught the first two weeks of the series, it's all about, it's it wrapped up in a Bible verse, 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. So this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, listen, all of you who are rich, and so we started out by recognizing that, that God has a special command for those of us who are rich, of course, Very few people say they're rich. Very few people here would even feel rich. But what we saw a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, is that if you make $48,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world, meaning in this present world. You actually are incredibly rich by world standards. Fortunately, for us, Americans are bad at being rich. We saw in the northeast and in blue states, that marks both of us, we are the least generous of all the states in the union. The least generous right up here in good old New York. Last week, we also looked at the side effects of wealth, denial and discontent. Now, if you feel like you might be struggling with either of those, the best thing I could recommend then is to go pick up the message online. Uh, it was Chris's message. He did a great job with it. And if you want to get another look at this idea, that would be the way, to, the way to do it. He also introduced us last week to an idea called the migration of hope. And this we see in the First Timothy passage. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to put... Uh, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. So there's the migration of hope. It's when it, our hope transitions away from God and it becomes fixated on our wealth. It's the migration of hope. And it's a dangerous place to be because, of course, the text tells us because it's so uncertain. It's so uncertain. When our hope is in money, the only thing we, have to, we can do then is to start hoarding our money. We can save our wealth or we can spend it in ways that we think will help us secure the future that we want because that's where we've put our hope. Of course, this is a vicious cycle because you will never have enough money to actually give you security because it is uncertain. Wealth is fleeting. It's a part of this natural world. It's a temporary part of the created order. It will not last into eternity. So there is no real security that we can have in our wealth. And there are so many things that can threaten it. So as soon as you have enough that you think, you know, you you, you have it in your mind is how much I'm going to make and how much I'll be safe with. As soon as you reach that, there will be other fears and risks that will come in that will cause you to be uncertain and fearful. And then you will say, I'll just need a little bit more. And as long as I get a little bit more, then you get a little bit more. And guess what? New fears, new challenges, new threats. And all of a sudden, this cycle starts driving you crazy. It's also why we can't give away our money. If you think about it, we're not really giving away our money. If, we've had, if, you've, if your hope has migrated, if, if you are actually not focused on God but focused on money as your hope, then of course you can't give it away because you're giving away your hope. You're no longer giving away some, t- some tangible asset that you happen to have too much of or, or, or more than you need of. You're giving away your dreams. You're giving away your future your hope. So this leads us to start to to clench, to wrap our fists around our time and our money in generally self-centered ways. But ironically, I guess we could have predicted this, the clenching and the hoarding doesn't alleviate the pressure. Think about that. Why are we so pressured? Why do we feel it Financially and in our schedules. Why are we always so busy? And why is cash always so tight? Why? We spend too much of it. That's why we spend too much. We've committed too much of it. And we have no margin. Margin is so key. It's so important You want to know how to prevent your hope from migrating. Or maybe it is already migrated. Maybe it's already, and you want to to return your hope to God. Then we need to create a discipline of margin. There's no space to feel generous or to be generous. There's no space with our money. There's no space with our time. So I was I was over at a Home Depot recently, over by the fairway, and um, I was actually just very recently, a couple within the last uh, week and a half uh, or so, and um, I had a lot going on. And as I was leaving the parking lot, I kind of caught a glimpse of like the little cardboard thing over there that was some guy was holding a cardboard sign up, and I thought if I just keep my eyes focused straight ahead then I won't actually have to see what is happening with the whole guy, the guy holding the cardboard thing. Because, you know, I kind of had an idea as to what it might be, and I really didn't want to engage. So I make the turn, and he's got props. It's not just him and his cardboard sign. He's got a wife and a kid sitting next to him. And the sign reads, no job, no money, no food. It's amazing how fast you can read those things from the corner of your eye. And and so I pull through and I'm like, you know, my first thought, I, you know, my first thought, I don't know what it, should, what it should have been. You know, my first thought was, I wonder how much this guy's pulling in. Because yeah. he's probably a con, right? Like he's probably just working the system. He's probably pulling down more than almost everybody I know, just sitting out there, you know, scamming us. And of course, this is my first thought. Who knows what's going on with the poor guy? He actually might be in a tough patch. He might be really struggling. He might just need a little leg up so he can get restored, get back into an apartment, get a job. Who knows what it is? Of course, if I stop to find out what the situation is, I'm going to have to give him a whole lot of time. I can't just give him money. If I do, will will he do with it? I have all of these excuses I run in my head, and I keep myself very preoccupied with it while I'm waiting at the light, trying to figure all of this out. And then I just realize, you know what? I can't engage. I am so Busy. I got to get back to work because I am literally working on a message on generosity. <laughs> what is going on? I'm packing my sex schedule so tight. God has a strategy for us to reorient ourselves in such a way that we create margin. And that will help stop the migration of, of hope. See, God wants us to think and to act differently than the rest of the world because God wants us to be good at being rich. He wants us to be good at it. He even says this in the next verse. He says, Command them to do good. Now, he's not talking about, you know, being good here. Christians, by the way, if you don't know this, you're supposed to be good. All right, So that's sort of like Christianity 101. In fact, you're also supposed to do good. So be good, do good, welcome to Christianity. Now, if, if that's kind of like basic, but that's not what he's saying here. He actually goes further. He's saying to be rich in good deeds. To be rich in good deeds. That's the real focus here. He wants us to be top shelf do-gooders. That's what he's calling us out for. He's not saying, you know what? I want you to be an average do-gooder. That's what I would like for you guys. Hit some comfortable median level. You know, maybe you could be a middle income do-gooder. That would be really great. Be a middle income. No, he's not saying anything like that. He's saying, be rich, be wealthy in good deeds, have an abundance, be affluent in good deeds. He wants us to be the one percenters in good deeds. That's what he's calling us to. It's a whole other way of thinking. And to do that, we have to think through two different currencies because that's really the, the two currencies that we have, right? We have the, the currency of time and we have the currency of money. The currency of time and the currency of money. And, of course, both of these very important in different ways in different seasons of our lives And what we end up doing with our time is mostly spend it on ourselves. But think about it. If you're going to be rich in good deeds, that's what he's calling us, to be rich in good deeds, the only way you can do that is time. That's how you're going to be rich in good deeds. You're going to go do stuff for other people. You're going to do good deeds. It's going to take time. That's the currency. But of course, how many of us say, I got plenty of time? You guys feel like you're flush with time? Because I got like a thousand jobs for you if you feel like you're flush with time. Are we really time starved? I mean, we all have the same 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, 525,600 minutes. Yes. All right. Anyway, how do you measure a year, right? This is how we do it. So just think, for, think through this with me. Most of us work, say, let's say we work five days a week. Some of us work six days a week. Let's say you work five days a week. Amazingly, most people in our country and most people you know can work five days a week and provide enough food and shelter for seven days. Isn't that startling? Did you know that's not something that everybody in the world gets to do? Do you know that some people have to scratch out their existence every day? If they can't produce this day, they don't eat this day. Five days. I've even heard it said that there are some families where one wage earner could provide all of the essential needs of a whole family. Four or five people could survive on one wage earner, often working five days a week. How mind-blowing by world economies. This makes us some of the most time-flush people on the planet, even in history. 60 hours of work a week. Let's say that's what you do. 60 hours of work a week, and let's give you each eight hours of sleep, which it doesn't look like you're doing the eight hours of sleep and you were at the 12 o'clock service. So I'm thinking, I don't know, you should be getting, I don't know what, anyway. If you did 60 hours of work and you got your eight hours of sleep, that gives us 52 hours left that you get to decide what to do with. After working and sleeping, 52 hours to decide what to do with. We have plenty of time To be rich in good deeds. You know what we don't have? Priority. We prioritize ourselves, and God isn't impressed with us prioritizing ourselves. He wants us to prioritize others. This is what He's calling us to. Have we done that? Are we thinking and planning and working in such a way? that we can sacrificially give of our time to others? Are we prioritizing others above ourselves? So do you have a regular commitment of service outside of yourself such that you can do good and be rich in good deeds? Now the currency for the next part of the verse, he says, be generous and willing to share clear what he's talking about here he's talking about our money that's the other currency that has to come into the conversation to be generous and willing to share now a couple of weeks ago we looked at some statistics that showed that the more people make the less they give away but this is an important thing because as you make more money you actually give away more money if you look at the numbers of what the super wealthy give away, they're giving away a tremendous amount of money. They're paying a massive amount of taxes. They're doing, And we always see that because they're making an enormous amount of money. And when you are wealthy, you can keep tr- jacking up that number, the number that you're giving away. And, of course, that number, as it goes up, becomes pretty impressive. Like we could look at the number that we give away at this point, and you could say, oh, that's pretty impressive because, you know, it's comparative. Because I know it's going to be better than what they're giving away. Because I make more money, so if I make more money, I can give a bigger number away. And so we focus on the number. And we think, that's got to be a pretty impressive thing. I bet God is even impressed by the number. But could, is he really impressed by a number? I mean, what impresses him? I don't know. I don't think he's impressed by the number. I don't think he's impressed with how many zeros that we put after it, how long it takes us to write out the check. I think it's about the sacrifice. I think that's what God gets impressed by. And here's why. Open up in the Bible to Mark chapter 12, one of my favorite stories, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It's a short little story. As you're opening up to it, I'll tell you the background. So it's at the temple. And the temple has these like giving boxes, and it's not like a giving like we got that little box in the back where if you you didn't fill out your connection card or your envelope, you can drop it in there. And that's like paper in wood, this tiny little box, like almost I- invisible. In the in the temple, they had these giant boxes where you would bring any variety of different types of offerings, and they were often these big metal boxes, with these horns, you know, like kind of like you know, big horns that you'd walk over and you could dump your money into. And so if you were a particularly wealthy people, it'd be a clankety-clank, clank, clank, clank. clank." You're like, oh, look, clank, 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 you know, And, and it was a very public thing. People could see what other people were giving. So Jesus decides to take a seat right there, picking up in verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people, threw in large amounts. You could see it, all the wealthy coming up. They're dragging their big bucket. Blank, 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 blank. That's what they're doing. You know, and they're like, everyone's sitting there like, whoa, that's pretty impressive, right? Like you could, I just probably wonder how, long, how far away you could hear that from, how close you had to get to really observe. You could see them, you know, taking pride in the number. Because it's a big number. When you got a lot of money, it's a big number you get to give away. But look what Jesus says in verse 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. She walks up quietly, clink, clink. That's it. It's all she got. Verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I don't think God is impressed with the number. God's impressed with the sacrifice, He's impressed with the percentage. That's what matters. You know what I love about this story? It's the two coins. I mean, I love everything about it. I love the two coins because it's like these one of these little details in the Bible. You're like, that's so funny, two coins. Uh, And the reason I like it is because you know when you're out with friends and you have a little dinner, it's a tip. You're leaving the tip, and the tip's cheap. It's a cheap meal. It's going to be, you know, five bucks is what you need to drop for the tip. And you open up your wallet, and all you have is a ten. So you're like, "Eh, I guess the service was okay. I guess it was really pretty good. (laughs) I'm not going to go bother to make change. I'll just give them the 10. And you're like super generous because it's all you got, right? But if you had the two fives, you're just going to drop the five in, right? And you're going to keep the other five for yourself because, you know, the service wasn't that good. But so, you know, you drop the five. By the way, ten Christians, 20% at least when you're out at restaurants, right? Especially if you're praying. If you're going to bow your head before the meal, you better cough up 20%. <laughs> the, uh, anyway, just don't embarrass us. But uh, so, but. But, but just think about that. How easy would it have been for her? It's not like she only had the one coin she, and she had to go make change. She had the two. It could have been just as ready to do a clink. She didn't have to do the other one. She could have held that back for herself. But she didn't. Clink, clink. Because God isn't impressed with the number. He's impressed with the percent. And rich people... We ought to be giving away larger sums. Yeah, we got to give away larger numbers for sure. But I think we got to be giving away larger percents as well. You want to play the comparison game, then compare yourself to the widow. Match her sacrificial giving. You know, giving $1,000 for some people is amazingly generous, but for others, it's embarrassing. God isn't impressed with the number. So how do we start? If we want to start down this road, how do we start? We have to start by remembering that this is what Jesus did for us, right? Like, this is an amazing story for sure. I love it, and it's a truly incredible, like, widow and sacrificial and all of that kind of stuff, and I can't wait to get to heaven and, and talk with her. I think it's going to be so cool to sit in heaven and hear her story. And how did you put your hope in God? Like, it's going to, she's, going to, she's a saint. It's going to be fantastic. I love it. But I'm not really sure that the, that the reason the story is in the Bible is to tell us the story of the widow. If you see where it's placed in the Gospel of Mark and about what's about to unfold, I think this is a proto story. It's a, it's a type of a story that was about to f- unfold. It was the prolegomena. It was the beginning of the passion narratives. This is actually the story of what Jesus is about to do. Why is he so impressed? I think because what's weighing heavy on his heart right now is that he is going to give it all. He's going to, remember, she gave all she had to live on? He is going to give all he has to live on. Quite literally, it's going to end in his death. He's going to drop his two coins in, what will seem like a worthless amount. To the authorities of the day and to the religious leaders, he's going to drop it in and God is going to see it as the greatest treasure in all the world that provides our redemption. I don't think there's any motivation more powerful to live for the good of others and to give generously than to reflect on the reality that Jesus gave his last two coins for us, he gave it all. I think some people, we look at the story of Jesus and the crucifixion and we think, oh, what a historical nightmare. The Romans, I can't believe they did it. And his own people, they gave him up for crucifixion. That's not how the story went down. Yeah, that's all terrible stuff for sure. But that's not how it went down. Jesus said he was going to die. He already told his disciples he was going to the cross. He said he had to. And if he didn't, we would be lost in our sins. This wasn't something that happened to Jesus. He laid his life down for us. He walked up to the temple and he dropped his last two coins in. He he decided in advance what he was going to do and what he was going to give and then he gave it. And I think that's also helpful for us as well. I think many of us, we kind of give spontaneously because it's so romantic, right? Something grabs your heart. And you give. You sponsor a child. You help a friend out. You're kind to a neighbor. Something like that. But, and that's not bad. But it feels to me a little bit like leftovers. You know, which I know around Thanksgiving is pretty cool, but pretty much any other time of the year, unless it's lasagna, is not cool. Right? It's leftovers. It's like, imagine like leftover fish. I just can't even do it. I just can't eat leftovers. It's just, anyway. So, anyway, but think about this. After we've spent our money, and after we've spent our time, if there is something left over, which of course, by that time, there's usually very little left over, then we give stuff away. And I, I just don't think that this spontaneous leftover giving has the spiritual mojo to change these ingrained patterns in the human heart. I just don't think it has enough power to transform me. So if we want to be good at being rich, then we need to pre-decide what we're going to do. Pre-decide. Take your time. For let, Let's start with time. Imagine how the church would function on a Sunday morning or in any of our midweek ministries if we all just sort of spontaneously served with whatever was left over. We have about 100 volunteer ministry positions needed every single Sunday morning just to do church. 100 volunteers or more are actively engaged every Sunday morning. We're generally 30 or 35 people short to be fully staffed on a Sunday morning. Midweek, we have 150 volunteer positions over And we usually have some 50 open positions at any given time. There's a little bit of overlap on these, but generally speaking, these are some pretty big numbers as to what it takes to be a church uh, today. So let's say somebody hears these numbers and they wake up on a Sunday morning and they say, you know what, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to help out. I'm going to join the band. So they're going to walk in and what? Start playing? Like, how does that even work? Your rehearsal was last week. You don't know the music. You haven't played with this particular group. I mean, you might be amazing, but you haven't actually figured out. We might already have your instrument. We, don't, we didn't know. We couldn't plan, couldn't utilize you. Or what if somebody walks in and says, you know what? I just want to help out with the kids today. That's great. We love the heart. That's fantastic. We'd love to try to fit you in in some limited way. But let's be honest. Like, we need a background check to make sure you're not crazy you know, we're not going to just stick you down there. Like, we don't know. There's going to be training involved. You know, maybe we've already closed classes, sent people upstairs, sent them out because we, we didn't know that you were going to be here. We couldn't actually, you know, this idea of just sort of spontaneously doing it, it, it doesn't actually work. Maybe here and there it works out, but it isn't, it isn't going to transform your heart and it isn't actually going to meet real needs. We need to pre-decide to give our time away. Same thing goes for money. More than likely, you give spontaneously like most of us do as an afterthought. Mostly, we sort of live our lives. We hope that in the end, something is left over. And if it is, then great. What if instead, we picked a percent of our income and decided to live on that? What if we said, you know what, I'm going to live on... 80% of my income, or I'm going to live on 60% of my income, instead of living on 110% of my income. What if we started that way? What if we just picked a percent, and what if we picked it low? What would happen? Well, not only, let's say you picked a lower percent. Let's say you pick 70%. I'm going to live on 70% or 80% of my income. Now you know what you can give away. Not only that, you've immediately given yourself margin. Margin. So that you can actually be generous. You know, tithing, for me and Cheryl, it started out when we were in college. Tithing is just the biblical idea of giving 10%. Um, And so for us, it was very easy. We were starting out in life together. We had $100 between us on a given week. And so we dropped 10 in the plate when we went to church. It was actually a piece of cake. It was like, what, 90, 100, who cares? We have nothing. So, you know, here's 10 bucks, right? And so we would just, it was it was like, we didn't even think twice about it. It was no big deal to us. We also lived among some very um, under-resourced people. We were in an apartment complex that had just a lot of poverty in it. And so we would regularly be able to help in other ways. So we were helping people repair their cars so they could get their kids, you know, from school or go to work. We were helping them buy food if they needed it because they clearly had less than we had, it was so obvious to us, it's like, how could you not help, you know, and who cares? Like, you know, it doesn't matter. We lived on rice and, you know, beans. It was nothing, it was, it was college. Then we went to graduate school. It also wasn't much more difficult because there we lived with a whole bunch of poor students. And so you're playing the comparison game. That's pretty much what all of us do when, you know, this is the whole, you know, uh, the reason that we are often unhappy with our money because we played the comparison game. We did that in, in seminary, but nobody had any money, no big deal. Nowadays, I make more than I ever made in college or in graduate school. It's harder now. It is harder. How is that possible that it's harder to tithe now when I have more money than I did then? I think this happens to many of us. And if Cheryl and I didn't pre-decide to tithe, we would never be able to do it. It's not gonna be left over. It never is. For us, the way we operate is we start at the tithe and then we try to create additional financial margin that allows us to do other things more spontaneously so that if something does grab your heart, you still have the ability to give. So, you know, we were doing the the foster care thing and we wanted to give money. It was no problem. We could go text it and immediately give. We don't even have to discuss it because we know we have financial margin that if she wants to give some money and if I want to give some money, we can do that because we've already predetermined, we've pre-decided... That this is the way that we're going to live. Now, if you want a little bit of guidance on this, I want to give you a little kind of a start on it. But I know that as soon as you start getting into numbers, people kind of feel like it's legalistic and all that. I'm not trying to be. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of... Anyway, whatever. So the point is, here, 33% of Americans don't give anything. Now, to me, obviously, I hope to God that is none of you Christians here in the room today. If If you're not a Christian... Whatever you want is fine. I'm not saying anything about that. No judgment in any way. But as followers of Christ, unless you are a brand new Christian for like in the last two weeks, I don't understand how we could be giving nothing away. If the gospel can't make us generous people, then I just don't even understand what we're doing here. So I'm, I'm certain that you're not in the 33%. You're probably in the 67%. And the 67% of the country gives away an average of 4% of their income. So that's what the average do-gooder in the country does. The average do-gooder in Utah slash Mormon country gives away 6% and the average New York do-gooder gives away two. 2% Utah thrashing us. <laughs> Unbelievable. As followers of Christ, I think, well, why don't we at least start where the average do-gooder in Utah is starting? And it wouldn't seem hard for us to get to the point and to make the decisions necessary for us to get close to the tithe, if not exceed the tithe just by being above average do-gooders. But the only way we're going to do that is by pre-deciding what you're going to give away. How will you serve the world on a regular basis? Where will you give your money on a regular basis? What amount of time, what percent of your money will you give? And you can imagine the impact that this would have, how it would change the dynamic in your own heart, how it would start to shift, break down the hardness and the fear, the shifting hope. Imagine what this would begin to do as it transforms your heart and who, and, and beyond your own heart. What about the community that benefits all of the needs that could be met through your service and through your money? Imagine all of the people that could be blessed in the name of Christ because the church starts to do what the church is called to do. Imagine how many lost people, people far from God, could be reached, how the kingdom could be expanded if Christians stood up and did what we were called to do. The reputation of Christians and churches would be changed in one generation if we would simply do what this text is calling us to do. But if we wanna be good at being rich, then we gotta practice. We gotta practice. And that's where the challenges come in. So here are the fun parts. Here's the numbers for us, all right? The first challenge from two weeks ago was to give more money. We were raising money for our foster care initiatives. And what we did there is we said, hey, if everybody in the church gave $29, then we would raise $8,700. And if we raised $8,700, we would be able to help the Foster Care Office of Nassau County do all sorts of projects that they've already asked us to help them with. Super excited about it. Somebody asked me, hey, what's your really reach goal? You know, like you said 87, but is it like 10,000? Is that your reach goal? I'm like, no, no, no. 87 was my reach goal. That was my reach goal. Like that was actually the number. That needed everybody to participate at $29, and it was the only way we were going to get it done. Here's the cool thing. So far, we've had 230 people participate in the campaign. It's not closed. It's not going to close for the whole month, so you can still participate if you haven't at the $29. You can do it any amount you want, of course, $29, you know, $290. I haven't joked around that you could even do the full $8,000, you know. And um, on that day, someone did. So on day one, we had really met our goal. And so that means everything else was extra in gravy to let us do even more with the foster care office. And to date, we have raised $21,458 for the foster care office. Now I'm pretty pumped about it. So on Monday, our first event, so this tomorrow, our our first event happens. There are 13 families who are adopting 24 children out of foster care. They are permanently being placed in homes tomorrow. And so we're super excited about this. Uh, We're throwing the party in large part. We're paying for lunch and centerpieces at about $2,000. We have gift cards for every family. So afterwards, they can go out to a dinner and like celebrate their kind of their, their new family together. Uh, We're going to, we're providing a cake, we're doing face painting, a photo booth, we've got like a dozen volunteers uh, who are going to be showing up to help, you know, host this party for the foster care office, so I'm really, really excited about it, we're going to crush it, it's going to be awesome, it's a fantastic opportunity to support the people, the workers and the families who are really genuinely sacrificing to help reach and to care for and to love the most vulnerable kids in our county, so I'm totally excited about that. Give more time. That was our second week. Give more time. We gave you a whole list of ways, and as you would expect, this is harder. This is a lot harder. Because our call, our call here was for every person to give at least an hour in some sort of service project to find something you could do for another person or another organization in the month of November that you could actually just say, I did this as part of Be Rich, to love a person in a a significant and concrete way, to to support an organization in a concrete way. So far, we have logged 11 hours. (laughs) So I guess we know what the next series is gonna be about. Um, But but there's still plenty of time, and I know some of you have, have told me about it, you've reported, but you haven't yet logged your time. So get on that, log your time, help out with any of these events. The last one, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to hand out the Give More Gifts Challenge. This is a neat challenge because the Give More Gifts Challenge is both a little bit of time and a little bit of money. And we're, going to, we're our goal is to create 300 stockings for kids in need. And so the way it's going to work is 50 of the stockings are going to go toward a shelter in the Bronx. 50 of them are going to go to a children's hospital 200 of them are going to be staying local uh, through the inn in Hempstead. Many of you are familiar with the great work that the inn does, and they've asked us for a significant commitment of stockings. We are going to meet that need, Lord willing, if everybody actually goes and makes a stocking. Now, because not everyone will be able to do a stocking for some reason that I don't understand, Others of you will probably want to go pick up two or three or ten. Otherwise, we will never hit our 300. So if it's in your capabilities to do more than one stocking, then certainly do it. When they come in, bring them in on Sunday. We're going to start counting them, and as soon as they start coming in, and we'll just keep you guys kind of a running tally and know how many that we are reaching. This is the third. We have four challenges for the month. There's still time to participate in all of them. As, uh, as the ushers are finishing that up, I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to be leading us uh, in a song as, they prepare our, as we prepare our hearts to come to uh, the Lord's table. And as they do that, I just want to uh, take a moment and pray for us. So let's just, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I'm asking that you would give us a very real experience of your incredible love and generosity Help us, Lord, to prioritize our lives in such a way, to prioritize others in such a way, Lord, that we create the time and the financial margin we need to genuinely be rich. Lord, we know that this is no small change in our hearts, but we also know that you have the power to do this and so much more. So we're praying that you would do it. Make us more and more like Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.